Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, she's the wife of an evangelist and mother of adult children who are involved in ministry, including a television personality and former Heisman Trophy winner. Pam Tebow has a passion to see women grow in the Lord. You'll be hearing some of her perspective. Then, statistics show that divorce rates spike after the holidays, and Aaron Smalley of Focus on the Family has some insight on why and how couples can work to prevent their marriages from disintegrating. Plus, from Gideon Advisors, its author and blogger Bruce Hartman providing inspiration with some basic steps for Christians to take in order to practice their faith in the new year. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection... January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and from the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking, it's Jeffrey Rogers, who informed listeners about this new faith-based organization and some of the concepts it intends to implement as it attempts to work with communities to curtail the demand in the arena of human trafficking. Finally, the Bible has been so influential in areas of artistic expression, including in popular music. Steve Turner is a music biographer and historian and shared with me recently about how the scriptures are incorporated into a variety of songs. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Pam Tebow is a speaker, wife, and mother. She's been involved in the work of evangelism side-by-side side with her husband, Bob, for a number of years. Following the announcement of her son Tim's engagement, she visited with me to talk about her desire to see women grow in the Lord and to become women of faith. This conversation took place in advance of a women's conference. Here from that conversation is Pam Tebow. Faith is really the starting point in the Christian life, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home and you know, never had heard a Bible a story or anything related, and I walked to a little church um, all by myself. Well, actually, I had my little sister with me. I was 12 years old, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And God gave me, as a 12-year-old, enough faith to believe what the pastor that I heard said was true. And so I asked Jesus to come into my heart and have a personal relationship. And that was the beginning of faith. And I didn't grow very much because my parents didn't let me go back to that church. And so I know how important faith is. That faith, even though it was just a little tiny mustard seed of faith, was enough to keep me going and helped protect me from some of the crazy things that, you know, the, the world would tell a teenager to do. And until I could get into a Bible study and learn more about, about how I could grow in my faith. So I'm so passionate about encouraging women that faith, although it's a starting point, needs to grow. And my husband has always taught our family that faith is like a muscle. And the more you exercise it, the bigger it gets. You know, our boys worked out, so they have big muscles. Well, I don't have great big muscles that show, but I want to have big faith muscles. I want to trust God. I want to believe Him when He calls us to do something that I can count on Him. And that's what faith really is. It's, it's trusting God. It's believing God. And when you read His Word, which has been a big part of my growth, is, is learning from, from His Word the um, just the truth of Scripture, and then you believe it, and you count on it, and you act on it, uh, God begins to grow that faith muscle. And then as you trust him for the small things, that he continues to grow it, and you can trust him for the bigger things and the bigger things. And so I just love to talk about faith. I love to encourage women 
you know, to, to trust God because he has the plans for us and they're the best plans. And even though sometimes it seems challenging and the world might not pat you on the back for believing God, it's the best way to live and it's the most fulfilling and it will be in the long run, it's going to be the life that God planned for us initially. So anyway, that's what I love to encourage women with. And I have lots of stories. I love stories because I think as they, Jesus used them in the Bible to communicate truth. I think stories about how God comes through as we trust him really encourage women. They encourage me even as I recount them. So it's a fun topic and one I think that women really relate to and respond to. I wanted to ask you just what you see as some of the important components of a woman really developing her faith in Christ. Well, I'm excited about this message because I think that this is the this is really the foundation of the Christian life that we have to trust God. I mean, life is challenging, it's hard. It's hard for women and I understand that, but God has a plan for us and if we can trust him and follow him, then I believe that he has the most amazing plans and they unfold as we do believe him. And we learn to grow in our faith through his word. So we first trust him, you know, God is, God's the beginning, you know, we have a master. And then, then I talk about manual because I think he's given us a manual so that our faith can grow. And, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I, I, I taught my children um, a lot of scripture, but I put them to silly tunes. So I sing lots of scripture tunes, just as an example, when I speak, just so that women will be encouraged that, you know, we don't have to be theologians um, to teach our children the word or to communicate God's powerful word with anyone else. We just have to love it ourselves. And then as we love it, then we can impact the people around us to love it too. And I think that's such an important part of it. And then I talk about our mission. Then he writes those, those God stories for us that we can share with other women because they want to have stories too. Pam Tebow here on The Intersection. You can find out more through com. Next up, it's strategic marriage spokesperson for Focus on the Family, Erin Smalley commenting on the rise in interest in divorce at the beginning of the year and providing direction for couples in order to strengthen their marriages. Here now from that conversation is Erin Smalley. It's difficult to bring things up, and for some reason as adults, often we believe that when we recognize a need or a desire within our relationship, that for some reason we begin to believe that it's not okay for us to bring it up. And I just want to encourage your listeners to, to recognize it is okay to bring it up. Now, it's definitely going to be a matter of how you bring it up, maybe the timing of how you bring it up or when you bring it up. You know, even if it is making a counseling appointment and going into a counselor's office, I mean, the whole goal when couples walk into my office, I want it to feel so emotionally safe that they can talk about things that are difficult, that there's a third person in the room to help navigate that. And, you know, if, you, if you're not there and you just want to try to bring it up, do it in the way that you're talking about your experience. You know, I'm feeling, I'm wanting, I'm desiring, and would you be willing to work with me on that? And this is how I see we might be able to do that. And what do you think? And so it's, it's important in your approach. So 
so do it in a way that's going to give you the greatest chance to be heard when you share something like this with your spouse. And I think uh, as we, or as I get you to elaborate just a bit more on that, it's important that there are some conflict resolution skills that really get integrated in the overall equation. But another excellent point you make is that there should be this sense of working together to try to preserve the marriage. But I would imagine that you see couples all the time that they are into their own corners. They are Mm -hmm. one another's enemy. And it's really tough to work out some kind of agreement as long as the couples have those respective stances. Yes, it really is. And as hearts close as a result of disappointment, conflict, criticism, you know, expectations not being met, that is when it is it is easier to isolate and to become roommates and to live parallel life. And so, you know, it, often people will say, they'll say, you know what, I'm always the one that brings things up. Well, that's okay. You know what, if you are the one that recognizes something's off in our relationship, be the one, be the courageous one to bring it up. I just think, and I know my father-in-law always used to teach that a woman, especially a woman, is built with an innate uh, marriage manual within her, that she has a sense for when something is off relationally in a marriage and, and maybe even with the kids. So I just didn't encourage you that if you sense that something's off, whether it be communication or conflict or within your physical intimacy or, you know, there's a specific internal issue or an external issue, you know what, be, be courageous and bring that up. And how do couples really integrate the the spiritual aspect? If you're dealing with couples, they both claim to know the Lord, yet they're struggling in their marriages. Comment on some of the spiritual dynamics that can also be effective. Yeah, well, first and foremost, especially Christian couples, just recognize that you do have an enemy, and that the enemy would love to see Christian marriages fail. So recognize that you have an enemy, that your 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 how you view your spouse, your thoughts about your spouse are being infiltrated by negativity by the enemy. So recognize that and recognize that that is the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. But then, you know, the research is so strong around couples that pray together, couples that attend church together regularly have a much less divorce rate, a much lower divorce rate than couples that don't do that. And I will tell you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, this is praying together is really hard for us. Lots, I would say we hear that all the time from Christian couples, that that is one of the most vulnerable, difficult things. You know, we're busy, we're running from thing to thing. But if things are difficult, talk to your spouse about that and ask, you know, I know things have been hard, but could we go to someone and have them pray for us? Could we pray together? Could we start attending church and, and surround yourself with people who are like-minded and, you know, who can who can surround your marriage, you as individuals, but then also your marriage? Aaron Smalley here on The Intersection. The Focus on the Family website is focusonthefamily.com. Well, this is The Intersection podcast with Bruce Hartman, founder of Gideon Advisors and author of the book, Jesus and Company, Connecting the Lessons of the Gospel with Today's Business World. In our conversation, he commented on some action that can be undertaken by Christians at the beginning of a new year based on his blog post called Seven New Year's Resolution Ideas for Our Faith. 
Here now is Bruce Hartman. We set the bar too high for ourselves. But but also, the reason why we fail is because we don't make it a habit. And it's that period from the day you say you're going to do something different to the two-week period. So what psychologists will tell you is it takes two weeks of habitual behavior to change your behavior. So in other words, if you want to make reading the Bible a habit, you got to do it for two weeks. Those are the toughest two weeks of any change is to stick with it. So one of the things that, uh, that I always think about is I always think about what Jesus has done for me. And all he wants me to do in this case is, is read the Bible for 15 minutes a day. So surely I should be able to do that. Um, but I have to make it a habit and I have to make it part of my life. And the first two weeks are the toughest. But you know what happens at the end of two weeks? You start to look forward to it. The Holy Spirit starts to work within you. And that's how you can get through that commitment. It's gutting through probably from day five to day 14. And then pretty soon it becomes part of your day. But reading the Bible every day is, is a way of inviting the Holy Spirit into your heart. And you will start to notice things within the first couple of weeks. Notice how you thank people. Notice how you hold doors. You yourself will start to emulate what you read in the Bible. Well, and in addition to to reading the Bible, and let me do also mention something that you said, and just kind of running the numbers and and exercising that part of the brain here. the The statistics, as you mentioned, if you read the you know read the Bible, it's important that you make that a habit. And you're right here. If we read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, by the end of the year, we will have read the Bible and you know in its entirety essentially. So we know that if we keep up that habit, that not only will we have gone through the entire Bible, but we also know that when we expose ourselves to God's Word, and as you point out here, when we're done, this time next year we can look back and we we can see what God's done in our lives. We can see that we have been changed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can read a, you can read a regular book, um, and it will make you think differently. But the Bible will change you. Um, you know, I, I have a friend of mine who is a cop, uh, police officer down in Atlanta, crusty guy. And he and another, he and another friend and I were talking and this was a few years ago. And I suggested to him, just read the Bible for 15 minutes a day. You know, he started going to church. He started singing the songs before he would sit there with a stone face. Um, and he's polite. He's happy now. And he doesn't think about his problems he thinks about how he can help people and this man changed but he's not the only one a lot of people change once they they get um into the bible and they start understanding particularly what christ expects from us and we see the benefit of of christ and also the holy spirit when we read invite the holy spirit to be with us the second one is something that is so interesting. The Bible talks in Hebrews chapter 10 about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And of course, here at Faith Radio, we talk about the importance of involvement in the local church. And that's your second resolution. Go to church more frequently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this this is one, when, when I talk to folks about why they didn't go to church, it's, it's one of two things. It's logistics or something happened to church that they found disagreeable. So, you know, the logistics issue is determining what is 
what is most important. Um, a lot of the bigger churches have multiple services, so that's that's number one. But what I discover every time I go to church is I find and meet somebody that changes my life. So it's not just the sermon, and fortunately the church I go to, the sermons are terrific. Um, but I always find somebody that changes my life. I've, I've been praying about my third book and what to do about it. And this past Sunday, I met another author who actually had my answer. And that's how God works and particularly works through the church. So I, th- I think when you go to church and you, you start to have fellowship with people, it, it's fellowship particularly with other Christians, it makes you healthier, but also gives God a chance to answer your prayers. Bruce Hartman here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, brucelhartman.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through the website, meetinghouseonline.info, or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast-receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you'll also find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Jeffrey Rogers is co-founder and CEO of the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. Recently, he shared with me about the concept of the faith-based organization, which is developing strategies to work with communities to combat trafficking, including addressing demand. From that conversation, this is Jeffrey Rogers. During my time at in the, in the corporate world, my wife and I both felt a very strong calling of God to move into ministry. So long story short, we did after a little over 15 years in the corporate world. And when we first started learning about human trafficking, what we did is began to produce a Christian documentary on sex trafficking in the United States. And that was about six years ago. And so at the time, didn't know anything about the topic, but began to learn about it really identifying the need to wake up the church, to call the church to this topic across the country. And that's why we started working on this documentary. And so what happened was I I thought maybe it would be a year and a half project and we would complete the documentary and get that out there and then move on to another critical social issue that we felt the church should be engaged in. But clearly God had other plans for us because for me, during that year and a half of the initial production work, and, and by the way, the film's still not done. We're expecting to release it here in 2019, finally. Um, but during the initial production work, as I met survivor after survivor after survivor, it was really the survivors who I can look back that every survivor I met utterly changed my my life and my wife's life. And so after a certain number of years on the topic, I sat down with her and just said, look, I really feel like God is calling us to this full time. This isn't just a quick project to do a documentary and move on to something else. God is calling our family to engage in this full time and to help end this problem across the country. And so at the, about that time is when I met Kevin Malone, uh, former GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers, 
who has since left baseball and committed his life to fighting trafficking as well across the United States. So I met him through the film and he and I got together and, and quickly became friends and recognized that we were in sync on our calling and our objective to end this scourge across the country. So it was two and a half years ago then that we agreed to co-found the U.S. Institute Against Human Trafficking. When we're looking at the anti-trafficking industry across the country, what we're finding are thousands and thousands of nonprofits that are working to try to figure out how do we combat trafficking. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing at all. But what we have are thousands of wheels being reinvented every year because there's so many people trying to figure this out. So from the very foundation of our organization, what we said is we're not going to try to come in and create something just new. We're going to leverage from people who have already been successful how to go about this. And so what the Trafficking Free Zone program has done is, first of all, recognized that sex trafficking is a supply answer to a demand problem. In other words, the only reason sex trafficking exists is because there's a demand for it. And so if we're truly going to eradicate this problem, we have to focus on the demand. And so then we said, okay, we're going to focus on demand. How do we eradicate that? So let's find out who across the entire country has been most successful within their community at doing that. And so we engage those organizations and those individuals and those programs, and we've pulled these together then into what we call this Trafficking Free Zone program, which is a really a replication of some of the most promising and best practices that we've found from across the entire country at eradicating demand at a community level. And really the key to this program is engaging all the different sectors of society to fight demand at the same time. So engaging law enforcement, local government, businesses, the education sector, healthcare, the church, getting churches involved, etc. So all these different sectors of society. And what we've found in the best communities that have gone after this is that when all sectors of society are firing away at demand at the same time, that's when the bottom begins to drop out of demand. And so that's what this Trafficking Free Zone program does, is replicates those best practices and makes them available to communities across the country. Jeffrey Rogers here on The Intersection. Find out more at usiaht.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's music journalist Steve Turner. He elaborated on some of the content in the book, Turn, 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 Popular Songs Inspired by the Bible, published in association with Museum of the Bible, illustrating how scripture has inspired a variety of songs. Here now is Steve Turner. I think it comes from, I mean, in many cases, it comes from a background. You know, maybe they, they grew up in the church or, or, or they just grew up in that. I mean, if they're baby boomers, they probably went to Sunday school. Like, uh, maybe through school, they had some sort of knowledge of the Bible, which may be uh, a current generation may not have such a an exposure to the Bible. I mean, certainly not in the UK. Maybe they do in the US. So I think it kind of seeps in that way. Um, and then I I think um, <clears throat> musicians often get to a point where they they're kind of revered by a large audience, and and they start. I, I think they encounter periods of self doubt, like what if I got to offer these people? You know, I don't I don't even know all the answers myself, and these people are looking to me to sort of guide them in some way. And so they, you know, several of them, particularly musicians that came to prominence in the 60s, kind of turned to religion and religious ideas and religious documents as a result of that. Um, and I remember interviewing Sting uh, once, and he said to me, he was raised as a, as a Catholic, and he said, I'm really grateful for my Catholic background because it gave me a, a kind of a rich vocabulary and a rich... Um, 
uh, symbols and, and images. You know, so when you, when, you, when you see an image of Christ on the cross and the nails and blood, thorns, you know, that's really kind of primal. And, and to somebody with a poetic instinct, you know, that, that's, that's just a wonderful resource to work on. So I would say probably, you know, maybe two-thirds of the people in the book, I've never heard of them having any kind of Christian commitment at all. And a third, you know, I don't know, but might be some vague form of, of faith there. But the, the point of the book was really to discover the influence of the Bible on the songs, you know, almost regardless of uh, the journey of the particular individuals. And, and, and it couldn't be a vague influence, like um, there's a song, Spirit in the Sky, by Norman Greenbaum. It talks about, you know, Jesus, uh, the spirit in the sky. Um, I didn't want something as vague as that. It had to be kind of tied into a particular story in the Bible, a particular character, or in most cases, like particular verses from the Bible. The idea originated with the Museum of the Bible in Washington. I've, I've never been to the Museum of the Bible, but they did an exhibition on John Newton and the song Amazing Grace. And I'd written this book, as, as you mentioned in, uh, at the beginning of this uh, slot. And um, they, they used my book as a kind of a resource for, the, for their exhibition. And they paid me back by asking me to do the introduction to the catalogue. And I did that. And a couple of weeks later, they got onto me and said, how about a, a book on uh, stories inspired by the Bible? And they wanted 40 songs. And I got back after a couple of days and said, well, I could do 100. I don't know if I could do 40. <laughs> there was just so much material there. Well, let's talk about the title of the book. It's Turn, 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 and that, of course, is a reference to the song recorded by the the birds, and it has references throughout to a passage in Ecclesiastes. So what's the backstory of this particular song? Well, um, <clears throat> the great um, songwriter of folk singer, activist Pete Seeger, came up with the idea. He, he, he was not a Christian, but, but he had some sort of affection for the Bible, and he was looking through it one day, and, and uh, Ecclesiastes was obviously a favorite, and he came across the, the third chapter of Ecclesiastes and uh, started to sort of set it to music. And so the song that he wrote, which was, I think he may have recorded it um, before the birds, he certainly performed it before the birds, and, and Judy Collins did a version before the birds, but it's, it's, it's almost... It's, it's probably 98% taken from, from the Bible, and then uh, actually, turn, 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 the title is, is not in, in, the, in the Bible. But he, that's all that's added. And then, as you said, the birds, who were kind of like the American Beatles, or was only working in that field in the mid-60s, in 1965, they recorded that version. It was a hit in, in America, it was a hit in Europe, uh, I think most people know that song. And uh, I, I mean, it's an interesting thing that, that Roger McGuinn, the, the lead singer, uh, uh, later became a Christian himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to get him to do a, a blurb for my book. So it's a nice sort of, uh, you know, the circuit being completed. You know, <laughs> with, uh, I, I can remember hearing the song as a teenager. Uh, I never would have thought that, that he would become a Christian and that I would write a book about you know, including that song, and, and he would endorse it. Steve Turner here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the publisher's website, worthypublishing.com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. It is a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more when you visit meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes on a weekly basis. 
The current and previous editions of the Intersection podcast can also be found through that media center. Also, when you visit the Meeting House homepage, you will find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content. The Intersection podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.